It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello everyone and welcome to the Arsenal Way. And yes, we are back at you with another Press Box episode. And I've got Football.London's Kaya Kainak Kaya, How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm okay. It's sort of as good as you can be after um, Thursday night's very disappointing 2-0 loss to Liverpool in the Carabao Cup, which we're going to get on to. But um, personally, fine. But for an Arsenal perspective, not too great. Yeah, as long as you're good. As long as you're good. But we do have to touch on to the Liverpool game just briefly. And what was your initial reaction after the game, Kaya? It was a pretty disappointing performances, wasn't it? Like, what uh, stuck out for you the most? Um, I think what stuck out for me the most was just how far Arsenal are off competing with those top teams. I think when you look at the starting eleven Arsenal have, they can go toe-to-toe with probably any of the best teams in the Premier League. And we saw that against Manchester City. But when you go beyond that, that's when the problems really start to arise. Obviously, it was a strong lineup last night. But I think if you look at the likes of Smith-Rowe, Tommy Asu, um, Erdegaard had barely trained, although I thought he played quite well, actually. Um, those kind of guys who weren't really fit. And I'll test that after the game that five or six of them hadn't even been in training. So those kind of guys were sort of there in body only. You know, they put themselves out there. They worked really hard to get there and be on the pitch, but they weren't fully fit. And the reason Arsenal feel they have to play all those players when they're not fully fit is because the options beneath them aren't really good enough. And that's a real problem. And if you want to compete on multiple fronts for the biggest trophies, not that the Carabao Cup is the biggest trophy, but any trophy, against the biggest sides, you really need to have not just the starting 11, but 20 or 22 players, as Arteta said himself last night. So that, for me, was the big takeaway from that game. And um, yeah, probably plays in nicely to the fact that it's the January transfer window. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but that was definitely the big takeaway for me. Yeah, absolutely. The perfect segue, but we will get into that soon. Kyle, against Liverpool, we had our strongest defence. I know, as you mentioned, Tommy Yasu hadn't trained before. It was three of our, our four of our five, sorry, strongest defence, fully fit. And Liverpool didn't have Sergio Mane or Mohamed Salah. And is that pretty telling? Because we've been praising the defence a lot this season, but we still struggled against the Liverpool attack, didn't we? I don't know if they struggled. I don't think they were particularly bad defensively. I just think that um, in sort of specific instances, maybe Gabriel switched off a little bit, particularly for that second goal. I think he was maybe a little bit um, wanting with the fact that he played um, Jota on side. Ben White could have been a little bit better on the ball, but I don't think they were defensively that bad. It was when it came to actually distributing the ball from defence, but that's more of a team issue for me. And Lacazette not really providing much in attack, uh, the midfield not really being there. I think that's all a collective thing. And I don't think defending is just the back four or five. I think Tommy Asu was very unlucky for the first goal, slipped, seemed to have Jota under control, and then he slipped. And then maybe for me, Ramsdale could have done better, but... I don't think it was catastrophic from the defence. And I think they'll they'll bounce back and they'll hopefully be much better against Burnley. But yeah, this wasn't a fully fit side and we should take that into account when sort of any sort of criticism. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I do agree with you. And it was the Carabao Cup. I know people do criticise the Carabao Cup for lacking importance, lacking really any care. It doesn't really compare to the FA Cup, the Premier League or the Champions League. And now Arsenal can't win a trophy kind this season unless Manchester City have a, just a meteoric decline, which is very yeah. unlikely. Do you think it was an important game that we lost or do you think we can just move on from that and just focus on the league now? Um, I'll probably be able to give you a good answer on Sunday, to be honest, uh, when Arsenal played Burnley. Until then, it's going to be difficult to say. 
they have to move on and they have to focus. That's the reality of it because they've only got what 18 games left in the season. Every single one of them is in the Premier League. So, yeah, as much as I'd like to sort of anticipate a title charge, I don't think it's going to happen for Arsenal this season um, or next season for that matter. But I think, yeah, I think focusing on getting that top four, maybe if you're looking for positives, I guess the fact that they only have one real goal now means it is a lot easier to focus on. They can prioritise a lot better. So they can get the first team out for almost every game. They'll only be playing once a week, more than likely. We don't know what the, the deal is with the rescheduled matches, but chances are, compared to the other teams around them, your Manchester United, West Ham's, those kind of guys who are still competing with for that final top four spot, they're going to be playing a lot less games, which is going to be good for Arsenal, I think. So, yeah, we'll see going forward, but um, hopeful that it, it can definitely be a positive thing for Arsenal. It's going to have to be a positive thing if they want to get into the top four. Yeah, it does absolutely have to be a positive. I think in previous seasons, during the final stretch, we've had to play in the Europa League. Of course, we've had good FA Cup runs. But now this season, I think it's the we're only going to be playing 45 games across the whole season. That is the least since 1989-1990 season, I believe. So, Kai, would you say this increases the pressure for Arteta now to get top four? Because previously, sometimes we could lean on the Europa League a little bit. We could lose games in the Premier League and focus on the Europa League. But now from January, it's clear we have to get top four. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, um, I think the pressure is definitely on Arteta to make sure this doesn't spiral, make sure it doesn't go out of control because a lot of the Arsenal players looked pretty defeated yesterday. As you'd expect from going out of a cup competition at a semi-final stage, they were hoping to get to the final, go to Wembley and maybe even win it. So yeah, the onus is now on Arteta to make sure that um, he can find some positives from the situation. Arsenal have been good at bouncing back this season. They've had disappointing defeats. Uh, if you think about the start of December, those defeats to Man U and, Liverpool, um, and Everton, they bounced back and went on and won, I think it was like five, six games in a row, scoring 19 goals in the process. So they can do it and they need to do it. And getting players back on the pitch is going to be huge for them. I think obviously after Burnley, there's something like a three-week break before the next match, which is going to be big in terms of just giving those players who have played a lot over the Christmas period and obviously everyone who's been suffering from COVID, giving them a bit of a chance to just relax into it. Potentially any new signings will then be able to sort of be slowly developed into the into the group on the training ground as well. So I think the fixture list is playing into Arsenal's hands a little bit. And yeah, all the sort of circumstances now seem to be pointing towards Arsenal's favour in terms of a push for the top four. So yeah, I think the pressure is very much on Arteta, like you say. Yeah, definitely. I think you at the start that you mentioned about players feeling defeated. Now, one player that Understandably, if it was the three, there's Thomas Partey. Now, of course, he flew from, from Cameroon after a disappointing African Cup of Nations. Ghana, surprisingly, knocked out in the group stage without having won a single game. And I think you were surprised. I know I was surprised to see Thomas Partey in the bench and actually come on against Liverpool. And unfortunately, he was red-carded, which means now he will miss the Burnley game. Kyle, do you think Arteta should have brought him on? Because I was, pretty, I was like, this is going to be a risk. I don't, I don't trust him mentally or physically to come on and really make an impact for the match. No, I think he did have to bring him on just because if you look at the other players on the bench, it was there was nothing there. I mean, you're looking at maybe bringing on, not to be disrespectful to any of the under-23 players who were all very talented and could go on to have fantastic professional careers, but Mika Beerith, Amari Hutchinson, Ryan Alabiosu, Saleh Adin, Charlie Patino, you can't be throwing those guys in mm. to the final 15 minutes of a Carabao Cup semi-final when you're 1-0 down, expecting them to make the difference, that's too much to ask. And I think um, Arteta had two senior players on the bench in Nketiah and Partey, and he turned to them. And they both let him down. Nketiah was very disappointing, barely touched the ball. And Partey uh, tried to touch the ball, but ended up <laughs> touching the man twice and bringing him down on both occasions. And yeah, I think it was a really stupid tackle from Thomas Partey when he was already on a yellow card. The 90th minute, Arsenal were 2-0 down. 
game was gone. I think it was just a moment of frustration. He's had a really difficult week, obviously, Ghana going out of the uh, African Cup of Nations. But I think if anyone's questioning his commitment to Arsenal, um, then that was immediately thrown out the window by the fact he literally stepped off the plane onto the Emirates pitch. I mean, that's very impressive. And obviously, with hindsight, we can say maybe he wasn't in the right shape of mind or anything like that. But listen, Arsenal need, Arteta did what Arsenal could do the only option available to him and I think the midfield was a big problem for Arsenal yesterday so bringing on party made sense to me I was surprised he didn't do it earlier actually but um yeah it's a shame that ended up where it did and it's a shame that Albi Samba Lukonga is again Arsenal's only fit central midfielder going into that Burnley game yeah that is a worry we'll touch on to that really shortly um it's just that the last word on Liverpool game Kyle the first leg I feel like it was a real spirited performance with 10 <clears> men and I think that was completely the opposite in the second leg what do you think the main difference was was it because it was at Anfield the back was against the wall and you have to really fight whereas at Emirates is a bit more comfortable do you think that was the main point main issue sorry I don't know I think I think for Arsenal the big issue was the lack of attacking threat against Liverpool they were down to 10 men so they could sort of get away with it but in those early stages they didn't really look like scoring and um, Liverpool were really affected last week by Arsenal's wide player Saka and Martinelli had a fantastic game and this week we saw that um, Katie Edwards and um, I've forgotten who was on the other side for Liverpool uh, it's completely slipped my mind oh, yeah. it wasn't Minamino it was hot uh, I think it was Jota right Jota was, Jota was at, on, yeah. on the wide position sorry yes they both tracked back um, to help where possible to stop Arsenal's wide players Saka and Martinelli were very quiet in the game Martinelli's obviously started very well and Jurgen Klopp praised him but uh, once Trent grew into the game, Martinelli had to go back and back and back. And then that was, for me, the big problem. And that's where Arsenal got stifled and they had nothing in the central position. Sambi Lukonga and Odegaard did well, I think, but they weren't able to break that Liverpool press, which I think is the best press in world football by themselves. As we've already said, Smithrow wasn't fit and Lacazette had a real off night. So, yeah, without any real central focal point, Arsenal struggled and um, they normally go out to the wide areas when that happens. But Liverpool did a really good job of nullifying Arsenal out wide. and. With that being the way it was, the yeah, the Gunners struggled and unfortunately now they're out of the Carabao Cup as a result. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it is disappointing, but now we do focus on the Premier League, like you said. Now I think we should talk about transfers, transfers, transfers. It's January transfer window. And I think yesterday was clear that we do need a central midfielder. I think Samuel Okonga, he's got bags of potential, don't get me wrong. But I think it's still too early just to rely on him to be the anchor man in midfield, especially you mentioned we're gonna have to use him now in the game against Burnley. He didn't start in the first leg in the first game, sorry, at Turf Moor against Burnley, because I think Arteta it was risky to play him in such a in such a game where we know how Burnley plays. So now he is going to have to play on Sunday. But that is if we do bring in our tour as Chris Wheatley from Football to London report, we are pushing hard to sign him. And Kaya, how how important is it that we get in the midfielder before the end of the transfer window? Personally, I don't think it's that important. I think that the important position for me is centre forward. I think Arsenal will be able to get by in central mm. midfield um, until the end of the season um, with the four players they'll have. Obviously, Partey's back now. Elneny will be back um, for the game after Burnley, whichever game that is. We don't really know what that's going to be with the fixtures being rescheduled. So I think those four players Arsenal have, Jaka Partey, Sammy Lukonga and Elneny, assuming they don't keep getting sent off, should be enough with Charlie Patino sort of backing them up um, from the youth team. If you consider the fact that Arsenal only have those 18 Premier League games left to play in the season, I think unless it's a player who is definitely going to be a starting midfielder for years to come. You look at the likes of Tielemans, you look at the likes of... Um, 
other players who have been involved, uh, Bruno Guimaraes, mm. who've, who's been linked as well. Those kind of guys who will probably be signings for the long term. That's the kind of signing I'd be perfectly fine with if I was Arsenal. But in terms of short-term loans, I don't think Arsenal really need it. I think they've got enough in central midfield to get by until the end of the season right now. Um, obviously, I could live to regret that um, saying that and we could see it be a real problem. But I think four central midfielders in terms of numbers with the promising talent we've got coming through the under-23 side will be enough. And yeah, I think I don't think that um, another player should be needed. And personally, I don't think Arthur would be necessarily that much of an improvement on what Arsenal already have. I think he'd be coming in to sit on the bench. Um, which, if you think that Sambi Lukonga is only 21 years old, is potential. He's got loads of potential, as you just said, and needs game time. Bringing in Arthur just to stop that game time until the end of the season, just for a short-term loan, doesn't make much sense to me. Also, I'm not convinced by the player. He gives me Sabios vibes. Just dribbles a lot. Doesn't really go forward that much. Sort of spins around in circles a fair bit. The occasional loose touch. Not that ambitious with his passing. So obviously, it was good for Barcelona, but I don't think. He's what Arsenal need right now. And I think they should be able to get by um, until the end of the season with the, with the midfielders they've got. Yeah, and no, I do see where you're coming from because we've signed midfielders in the past and the Johnny Transfer window that just hasn't worked. We've signed Denny Suarez, of course. Yeah, Denny Suarez, Kim Carlstrom, the legend <laughs> for the Wigan penalty. But I said from that, he yeah. didn't really play either. So if we were to sign Arthur, would you prefer it then to be long-term rather than short-term? And, would he, and where would he be in your preferred options as a midfield signing for this window? Very near the bottom of the list for me. Um, I don't want to be too harsh to him because um, he's clearly a talented player. If you play for Barcelona and Juventus, you've clearly got something that other midfielders don't have. But I just, like I've mentioned before, I, I don't think he offers that much to Arsenal in terms of what they need in midfield. I don't think they necessarily need someone who's another dribbler who turns around in circles. I think they need someone who progresses the ball quickly with minimal touches and minimal fuss. I like the idea of Yuri Tielemans to do that. We were discussing that a little bit before. Um, I know you're not necessarily his biggest fan, but I think he'd be a fantastic option. Um, I've not looked into Bruno Guimaraes as much as I probably should have done, so I'd have to I'd have to do a bit more research before maybe committing to him as an option. But listen, Arsenal's talent idea has been fantastic over the past window. If you look at the six signings they've made in the summer, every single one of them has come off pretty much. So I would back them to make the right decision. And if they go for Arthur, then who am I to sort of disagree with that? I just think that there are better options out there for Arsenal if they do go for a central midfielder this January. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think for me, my preferred option would be Frank Kessier from AC Milan. We know Tottenham are chasing him. He's doing very well at the African Cup of Nations. We've seen Nicola Pepe and him linking very well at that tournament. And I'd love to see him in an Arsenal shirt because I think him and Thomas Partey will create an excellent pivot. You've mentioned Tillemans as well, another player we have been linked with for the summer window. So we shall see because it looks like Arta will be short term if he does come in. But uh, Kai, I think we can agree on the Arsenal need a striker. I think the game against Liverpool was just proof of that. I think, like I said, this struggle against Van Dijk and Matip, their height, their presence, their power resting defence. I think Flaovic, who have been linked with heavily, would be able to say that is his sort type of game. That is the game where you want to play a striker who's ready to compete with those type of players, isn't it, Kyle? Yeah, 100%. I've got a piece coming out on Flaovic this evening, so I'll give that a little plug. But um, yeah, the piece basically says that you need a physical presence in the middle of the pitch who's going to be able to provide a get-out-of-jail-free card when Arsenal are faced with a high press. Liverpool press very intensely and one way to beat that is just by going over the top of the press or looking to go straight through the press rather than trying to play around it, if that makes sense. So, yeah, Vlajevic would be the perfect option for that. And if you look at Ramsdale's ability on the ball, Ben White, Gabriel, both accomplished with their feet as well. Just playing the ball straight through to um, Vlajevic, breaking the lines and then Vlajevic quickly laying it off to the likes of Saka, Smith-Rowe, 
Martinelli, who are all out in those wide positions, I think that would work really well for Arsenal. I think he'd be such a fantastic signing. I've, I've, I was hesitant on him at the start, but I've, I've done my research yeah. and I've done a bit of scouting and, yeah, I've convinced myself that he's the guy. I just think he'd be a great signing. It's a real shame that it's not looking likely at the minute, um, but, yeah, I think he'll be fantastic if Arsenal can get him over the line. Yeah, I agree with you. I wasn't too sure of him on the start, but the more I've seen and the more scouting I've been doing, I'm thinking, you know what, this guy will be the good strike for Arsenal. We should look to sign him now. They are saying there are reports that the the sticking point is to do with the agent fees. Now, if we do so, let's say we do sell Bamiyang to to away away from the club, would you be willing to pay a high a high agent fee, which Arsenal are not usually accustomed to doing? Would you be willing to overspend on an agent to bring your Flavich? I know teams have done it in the past; they've succeeded. You look at Chelsea and Hazard. That's how Chelsea got Hazard. They paid an extortionate amount just to bring in the Hazard and to bring um, to persuade the agent to sell him to Chelsea. Would you do the same for Flavich for Arsenal to succeed and get Champions League football? It's really tricky, isn't it? Because every time Arsenal seem to commit to one of those kind of decisions, it really seems to blow up in their faces. So. Mm. You look at the big money contracts they've given to Aubameyang and Ozil. They seem to have, they've they've really not gone as planned. Um, that would seem to suggest that that's probably not the right course of right course of action to take. Sorry. So maybe I think if Arsenal don't feel they can match the wage demands Flyvich offers, they're going to have to look elsewhere. Having said that, if Arsenal are very serious about getting back to the top table of European football, challenging for the Champions League, challenging for the Premier League. You can't do it without a world-class striker. And I think Vlajevic has the potential to be world-class. If you're looking at under 23 centre-forwards across Europe, it's Mbappe, Haaland, and then probably him. So there's not that many options out there in terms of players who tick all those boxes that Arteta wants. Um, I think Arsenal are willing to pay for him. And I think they're, they're happy to sort of try and match those demands if possible. But um, at the same time, it all depends on whether Vlajevic is willing to come himself, doesn't it? So... Juventus are reportedly interested as well, and that seems to have really thrown a spanner in the works because apparently that seems to be the the club where he has the most interest. He seems keen on staying in Italy, but these are all reports. This is not sort of information that I've got in particular. So we'll, we'll see. But um, yeah, I think probably Arsenal should take that risk. I think Vlajevic would be worth it. But, you know, it's something that in hindsight, having said that, we may be having this conversation in two years' time saying, why were yeah. Arsenal so stupid to give Dusan Vlajevic a guy who's never ever played Champions League football, never done it even in the Europa League um, to give him a 300 grand a week contract um, for five, six years or however long it's going to be. So it's difficult and it's a really tricky decision, but those are the kind of decisions that Edu and Arteta are paid the big bucks to make. So fingers crossed they'll be able to get that one right. Yeah, fingers crossed. It would be a gamble. And I suppose if you want to get to the top, sometimes you do have to make those gambles. We shall see if Arsenal do do that. But I do, I see, I, you mentioned about uh, having a world-class striker and that will get you to the top. And I think our rivals for top four at the moment, they have world-class strikers, don't they? Harry Kane, you saw against Leicester, how he really carried the team and got them across the line. You saw with Ronaldo at Man United, they have Cavani, of course, they have great goal scorers. And I think that's the main sticking point for us to get reaching top four, isn't it, at the moment? It's that striking position. Yeah, the next phase of Arsenal's development is definitely in the final third. And it's the only position where Mikel Arteta hasn't actually strengthened. It's the only position where he's not signed anyone. He's obviously done contract extensions for Aubameyang, but he's not really looked to actually bring in the centre forward, largely because when he came in, Arsenal already had two £50 million uh, centre forwards on the books. So he couldn't really then go and bring in another one. And also that's before we bring in Nicola Pepe as well. So... This will be fascinating to see what Arteta does. I think it's it's going to be yeah important. It's going to be really important for Arsenal. Getting that decision right is essential if Arsenal's project is going to go as far forward as I think we all feel it definitely can because 
as well as Arsenal playing this season, the, the thing that's lacking between them and the very top teams is goals. And if you look at that period where Arsenal did look capable of challenging against those top teams, that late December period, what they had in their side was goals, goals, goals. And without a top striker, you don't get that. So, yeah, it's going to be really, really important to get that decision right. And hopefully they can do. Yeah, hopefully they can do. But Kyra, worst comes to worst. We don't bring a flyer in this window and we're struggling to sign a striker. Do you try to repair relations with Aubameyang to get him back in just to support Lacazette or do you go with Lacazette and then on trust the strikers for going into the end of the season? That's a good question. Personally, I don't think that I would have let the situation with Aubameyang get to this mm. level. As much as he's obviously had his problems with timekeeping, I don't think he's ever really been a troublemaker as this... Um, situation seems to suggest and I think maybe he could have been kept on and kept sort of more within the group as an option off the bench um he's obviously not been scoring as many goals as we'd like this season but he's definitely still probably Arsenal's best finisher at um the club so yeah I personally would have looked to have kept him involved having said that I think it's too far gone now I don't think you really can bring him back from this position having left him out for so long and the, the line from Arsenal seems to be that Aubameyang was not considered for this game. He might be considered for the next game. We go game by game. But I think that's just Arteta sort of ruling out, not entirely ruling out in case, I don't know, the entire centre-forward position gets COVID and injuries all the way down to the under-18s and then he's forced to play Aubameyang again. So it's tricky. Um, I personally, yeah, like I said, wouldn't have let it get this far, but I think it's probably too far gone now for Aubameyang to make a comeback at Arsenal. As sad as that is, because I think he's been a really great servant to the club and it's a shame to see him leaving this way yeah I agree with you I think he's been a great servant it would be a shame to for him not to play in an Arsenal shirt again I think I'd give it until the end of the January transfer window if we can't sell him then I'd hope we try to repair relations because having a player like that just sitting on the on the bench is not good to see we want to, we want to push for the top four places and if Aubameyang is available then we should try to get him because he will of course help the club try to achieve the the goals that we want to reach but I think in the final stretch of the show now Kaya sorry we're going to be talking about Arsenal Burnley the preview and with party no longer playing, has that really worried you a little bit or are you still confident that we can still just get over the line? I'm still confident. Um, Burnley are a team who themselves are struggling a lot with COVID and injuries. They've obviously had to call off a lot of their games. They've not played in the Premier League, I think, since January the 2nd. So they're a team who are a little bit rusty right now. And um, I think Arsenal can take advantage of that. They're a team who are way down the bottom of the Premier League table. This is not a vintage Burnley side. We've seen Burnley sides finished top seven recently, not that long ago. This is not that kind of Burnley side for me. Maxwell Cornet is their best player. He's away at AFCON. So I think, yeah, assuming the game goes ahead, which is sort of a caveat we had to add to every single discussion we talk about match previews now, I think Arsenal really should be confident with the players they've got of, of beating Burnley. And hopefully Callum Chambers will be fit and can maybe come back in and give Tommy Asu a rest or maybe Tommy Asu is more fit come Sunday. So that right back position gets solved and then, you're looking at midfield. I think Erdegaard alongside Sambi will be fine against Burnley. I don't think Burnley are going to look to press high and cause Arsenal problems that way. So I think they'll be okay building from the back. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, but yeah, still pretty confident about Arsenal getting a result because I think the as much as the squad depth is being pushed right now, I think where they can't compete against the likes of Liverpool, Man City, they can compete against the likes of Burnley. So definitely a chance of them winning that game for sure. Yeah, they've proved that this season and with no game being, you mentioned how we won't have a game after for almost three weeks. Just does that increase the pressure? Because you don't want to go into that and, lo and lose that game, do you, and have three weeks off where you're coming on the back of a defeat? I think that just adds the pressure. We really do need to win it. It's an important game, isn't it? Yeah, Arsenal haven't won yet in 2022. So that's a, that's a big problem and they need to address that. And the best way to solve the sort of the doom and gloom feel around the camp right now is by winning. And 
Burnley are a relatively sort of um, beatable opponent. They're they're a team who Arsenal really should be looking to win against. And if they want to come top four, it's the kind of game you have to win. You can't be dropping points in these games, particularly if you're going to drop points against the bigger teams. So it's essential that Arsenal get those three points. And yeah, fingers crossed they can do come Sunday. Fingers crossed indeed. And before we end the show, Kai, of course, I am going to have to get your score prediction for the game. What is your thoughts and feelings on the score? Every time I think I've got away with it, you managed to just remember it just in time. Um, let's go 2-0 to the Arsenal. I'm hoping that Lacazette can find his shooting boots and uh, yeah, get two goals against Burnley. Yeah, I'm going to be on the same trend as you. I'll go one high. I'll go for a 3-0 Arsenal win. I think Burnley are off form and I think Arsenal need to need to fly a little bit. We need to find the form and I'm hoping that in the game against Burnley, we'll finally do that. But that has been the end of the show. Kai, as always, thank you, mate. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Make sure if you want to see more from Kai and hear more from him, make sure you give him a follow on Facebook at Kaya Kainak and on Twitter as well at Kaya Kainak. He will be posting more stuff on there. And guys, make sure you like this video and subscribe to the channel as more videos will be coming your way. But most importantly, make sure you keep following us down the Arsenal way. <laughs>